What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. Just, he's sitting right here in front of us, <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're, just, fucking. we're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client. We'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paying the hasn't bill. Been paying shit us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so we <laughs> we may as well tell people if they're in Australia and you need dog gear, don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E i n z w e c k dot com. There you go. Nice. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right. On to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine Suticals. Yep. The best canine suticals. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? He's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love Barbara. She just loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an We have. Since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club South Dog Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork. Yeah, it looks good. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have two. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. Taylor so thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> don't do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you buffhead. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit pines <laughs> Dan Croft, Puppy Classes, yep. Cool Facility, Barber de Groot. Amazing sugar mama, love her, from the hot dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Tro- dog clubs. Troppy Daniel. <laughs> dog clubs. Australia. <laughs> yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and joining us all the way from Maine, it's our dear friend, Jay Jack. Jay, welcome. How's it going, guys? Good to be back on, man. I miss you guys. Yeah, likewise, good to have buddy. You here. Some shit's gone down. Yeah, bro. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> oh, God. A little bit. A little Some bit. shit's gone down. And you were just talking to us about what's been happening, and we were like, stop, stop, stop. This has to be on the podcast. So this, <laughs> this is, is what, this we is should what we're talking about. Yeah. Give us the rundown. Tell us what happened. Let's jump straight into it. Yeah. So tomorrow night is eight weeks from the accident. Man, I was coming home from work and I lost the entire day. I don't remember any of this. Like, so I lost several days. Uh, It was a really bad concussion. I was on the way back from work on Wednesday night and got hit head on by a drunk driver, apparently jumped into my oncoming traffic. There was no skid marks. There was no time to react. He got killed and it killed the puppy that I had in the car with me mm-hmm. and I made it. The short of it is I I didn't die, but I got pretty fucked up. Anybody that knows me isn't surprised by this, but a, apparently I pulled myself out of the car and called Mandy. No shit. Yeah. The story was like, <laughs> the, the, yeah, I don't, so I'm trying to think about how to say it. Like the, the, everybody was like, man, the guy died. And I don't know if he died immediately or if it took a while or what, I don't know. All I know is that I pulled myself out of the car and I checked. I don't remember this, but I know me. I know the way I think. And I know. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Mandy would kill the guy. Like if you killed him, <laughs> Mandy would fucking kill him. like no question, like she'll kill him. Yeah. And there's no question in my mind that if he wasn't dead, I'd have killed him. You know what I mean? There's no question. Apparently I pulled myself out of the car, checked and made sure the dude was dead. And they called me. <laughs> oh my God. And it was like, I was in a wreck and she didn't really know how bad it was because I called her. I handle emergencies fairly well. Like I do well in duress, you know? And so like, I guess I called her and was like being, you know, Hey, look, I was in a wreck and it's, it's pretty bad and whatever, but I was talking to her and she's like, okay. You know, and she's handling it as if it was like a car wreck. When the paramedics pulled up, I was standing, leaning against the guardrail and they pull up. So my leg was broken in seven places and three of them were compound. They were sticking out. Mm -hmm. 
my leg was just a noodle. Like there was just completely disconnected. <laughs> and I was just pockets was like, dude, I, cause he got to the hospital before Mandy did. And he was like, I saw your bone marrow dripping. Like it was just a bone sticking out. Actually, Mandy took pictures of my leg before they fixed it. So if you want to see him, I'll get her to send them to you. If you want to look at shit like that. But I was standing against the guardrail and the paramedics pull up and they're treating it like, holy shit, like this is bad. I was like, here, let me give the phone to them. Like they can explain it. Cause like, she was like, where were you coming from? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I was in a car wreck. That's all I know. And I give them the phone and they were like, you need to get here. Cause like he could lose his leg. He could die. This is not good. And she was like, oh shit. So it was kind of surprising to her how bad it was based on the way I was acting. Who called the paramedics? Was that some other person or? Fuck, no idea, dude. No yeah, idea. Right, okay. I remember any of it. I remember Tuesday, the day before, and I remember waking up on Saturday. That's my memory. Because they had me, they put me in a medically induced coma for like three days because they were doing a bunch of surgeries day after day. So I wasn't awake. Mm-hmm. I woke up on Saturday. So I lost like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, wow. I don't remember any of it. So Wednesday, there were some videos I took because we were documenting. We just got two new puppies that we were training and raising. And I was kind of documenting daily on our Patreon page. I took videos on the Wednesday for that, like took video, a couple videos of training one of the dogs looking at the videos. I'm like, oh yeah, that looks familiar. Like, I don't remember it, but it's like when you see something when you were from when you were a kid that Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I remember that now, but it's like, you remember it because you saw it. You don't have it in your head. I can kind of recognize the videos from that day, but if I hadn't seen those videos, I would have nothing from that day at all. But yeah, she got to the hospital and I guess I was still awake. I didn't go out and they started working on my leg and they realized I was bleeding out. I got a fucking dude. I got a zipper. I got a fucking zipper. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. All yeah. the way. Mm. Oh, yeah. So Jay's so just showing his stomach and he's got literally from his sternum down to his belly, like a huge scar. Sternum to pubic bone, dude. It's yeah. just like a fucking zipper now. Did Did uh, you see any of that? Did you go conscious at all while you were? Open? I was I was unconscious the whole time. Like, yeah, I've got a friend who who got shot and he came around at one point and looked down. He had a similar thing. Like he had the zipper and they had to leave him open for several days. And then yeah. he has a memory of kind of waking up and looking down and seeing all his own organs and everything and being <laughs> like, oh, no, nah, I'm out. And just going back to sleep. <laughs> it's like, this is too much to deal with. So when I woke up, I was innovated until Saturday. So like when I woke up, I was already stapled up, which is really like, I have an interesting thing with gore, right? Like, in an emergency, in the moment, I'm good. Like, no problem. No matter how bad it is, like, I'm good. But outside of the moment, I can't handle it. Dude, I have broken people's legs backwards. Like, I've destroyed them. Like, I've fucking torn shoulders out. Like, I've broken every. I've smashed kids in the face with bricks. Like, I've done terrible things to people. Hold this kid's nose, like, the septum out with a pair of needle nose pliers one time. You know what I mean? Like, done terrible <laughs> things to people, right? But I can't watch a video like a movie where I know it's fake and the guy gets his arm broken. I like, I can't watch it. Like I cover my, yeah. I've done it and I can't, yeah. I can't like I relocate people's fingers and elbows all the time in the gym. Like I can put joints back in. No problem. I can set broken bones. No problem. But I can't watch a video of me doing it. And at the moment yeah. I did it fully totally fine, but I can't watch it. So yeah, I handle emergencies well, but I do very poorly outside of emergencies. I don't handle it at all. So I'm really glad everything was zipped back up. 
Yeah, man. Like it's weird because my experience and Mandy's experience were completely different. I feel like hers may have been worse than mine, right? Mm. Because I woke up Saturday, like what's happening? And she's like, you're in the hospital. You were in a car wreck. Like I don't have any recollection. And it's like, my leg is in this giant fucking immobilizer. And like, they had like vacuum stuff on it because they were worried about compartment syndrome. Cause they thought I was going to lose it from all the damage. I've got staples in my stomach and I've got a catheter and I've got a fucking thing in my nose and just all the shit. But it's like, I just woke up and was here mm. and they're like, you're okay. Your leg is going to make it. You had some shit in your stomach, but you're okay now. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're just processing it. But for her, man, like she went there and they were like, okay, he might lose his leg. And they told her I was going to have a colostomy bag. They were like, his guts fucked. Cause I was bleeding inside and they opened me up and then they found out like I had all this small intestines were torn. My colon was torn. So I had like danger of sepsis and all this shit. And they were like, look, he's going to have a colostomy bag. And she knows me and like, I'm not going to do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> not. If you tell me I can't train, that's what I do. That's who I am. You know, I do better with no leg than a bag, no leg. I can put on a prosthetic and deadlift. I can put on a prosthetic and train a dog, but like a bag, man, there's no jujitsu for the rest of my life. And she was just begging him. She was like, don't put a bag on him. And they were like, well, look, you know, he's going to have to have one. There's just no way around it. And she was like, I'm telling you, don't do it. So for a couple of days while they were doing these surgeries on me, she's just sitting in the room and it's like her, our kid, like some guys from the gym that are close, like they all know, but nobody else understands their concern. Cause they're like, no, 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 he's going to live. <laughs> they're like, you don't understand. Like if we have to wake him up and say, you got a bag, you can't train. He's going to shoot himself. All the doctors were like, you're out of the woods. And they're like, no, we're fucking not. You know, this is bad. Yeah. And she said it was the third surgery they had told her before I went in. They were like, mentally prepare yourself. He's going to have a bag. And then they came out and they were like, look, we found a way to put it back together without a bag, but we have no idea if it's going to fucking work. Like, it's probably not going to take, but like we tried and they were like, holy shit. So then the next week was just like, <laughs> Like, is this going to work? Is this going to happen? You know, holy shit. Yeah. So like put my leg back together and put my guts back together. They took two feet of my small intestines and most of my lower colon is gone. So yeah, they were really surprised that I was able to, I mean, I've surprised everybody with the recovery, like, cause I was eating solid food like a week later. So yeah, I mean, I'm fine. Like my digestion's fine. Stomach's yeah. Fine. Okay. Right. So that's what I was going to ask. Like, what's your felt experience of that? Mm, but you're exactly you're back on track with it. it it's, it's fine, dude. I've got chicken in the smoker right now, waiting for this podcast <laughs> to be over. <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. Like, it was weird. It was like probably ten days of no food, no water, like no nothing going in. Mm -hmm. Had me on an IV, but they didn't have me on any nutrition. So there was like glucose and shit, but no like food. Yeah for like 10 days. And then they went, okay, we're past this infection point. We got to try solid foods. And they're like, so clear liquids and soup and shit for like the first couple of days. And then if that works, then you can try some solid food. And I was like, I kept trying the next thing. And it was like, everybody look at you and you're like, I think it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you tried something else. They're like, I don't know. It's still working. 
my digestion's fine. My, my food is fine. I can, everything's going, everything's coming out. It's all good. But like, it was weird for the first probably three, four weeks. The amount of food I could eat was really, I mean, like normally I could eat like, I don't know, like whatever, three bowls of the shit or whatever it is. And I would get like one bowl and be like, I can't, I'm done. That was weird. But I mean, it's come back. I'm like back to kind of normal levels of food intake. Yeah. So like fucking food's fine. Stomach's fine. I got one more week. Well, by supposedly at the end of eight weeks, I can start bracing because like they worry about me blowing out the sutures like a hernia risk. So I had to, I couldn't brace. Like when you lift heavy, like you brace your abs, like I couldn't brace. So I've been limited in the amount of weight that I could work with my upper body because of my stomach. So at the end of this week, I'm supposed to be able to start bracing again. So like, I should be able to start lifting a little heavier upper body stuff now. Um, I've been limited. I mean, they were like, you know, no more than 20 pounds. And I was doing like 150 pound floor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not bracing. It's fine. I can control my stomach. Like I'm not bracing. What was your experience like with the doctors when you came around? Because, mm. you know, someone like you, you're kind of a rare animal. So to give, <laughs> sort of paint some context, right? Like one of my closest friends has a glioblastoma. It's a type of brain cancer, right? And it's a terminal diagnosis. You're going to die of this. When he started his chemo, they said, you know, the gold standard is if you can fast for five days beforehand, see if you can do 24 hours this time, try and work up to three days. He's like, yeah. you don't know who you're dealing yeah. with. So, yeah. so this guy now, he fasts two weeks out of every month, has been on doing that for more than 12 months. He's still in better shape than me, has yeah. turned his brain cancer, but it hasn't grown at all, which he's off the chart now. Yes. And so his experience with the doctors, that they're confused by him, but they're interested because they're like, oh, we can do things to and for you that no one else can endure and we can test and test protocols. And so that was one of my earliest thoughts when I was watching your recovery stuff. I was like, oh, he's either going to be the biggest pain in their ass <laughs> <laughs> and not do anything they're told because he thinks he knows better. Or they're going to experiment on you and they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, how far can we push this with a person who will not whinge to me and will not push it? So like, tell us a bit about that and your experience of it. It's interesting because from their perspective, especially in, in America, they give you the instructions that they would give the worst person. The instructions they give me, the pamphlet they give me, and the pamphlet they give the 65-year-old, never been an athlete, like, eh, complains about everything, refuses to cooperate. We get the same packet of instructions, which is clearly not, it's like, to get back to dogs, it's like that whole, you know, train the dog in front of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they do not do that. It's like, here's the packet, you know? And that's kind of crazy, but it's like, when they give me those things, there's part of me that's like, not to, to, it annoys them because I am sort of educated. Like I'm not a doctor, but like I've been around this shit for a long time and I study and I research and I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, we're not doing 12 weeks of that. And I'll say to them, like, look, 12 weeks is what you're talking about is ABC. And they go, yeah, but that's what I have to tell you. And I'm like, that's, that's fine. But like, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to move faster than that. You know, we're going to go faster than that. In the beginning, they get really annoyed with me because they're like, here's this dickhead who's like, I'm going faster than that. And he's pushing and he keeps doing the stuff that we haven't asked him to do. And they're like, this is going to fuck you up. And then a couple of weeks in, they're like, oh, no, he's doing it. And mm -hmm. then they go, oh, okay. And then they just get the fuck out of the way. They're like, all right. 
we'll let you run. And then I kind of use them as check-ins. Like, here's the plan I have. This is what I think we're doing. And they're like, all right, check back in in two weeks and we'll see. And then they're like, okay, it's working. So now we're going to adjust the timeline or whatever. But in the first couple of weeks, it's the worst. Cause in the first couple of weeks, unless they know me, like now my PT has rehabbed me through like five different surgeries. He knows. So I didn't have to go through this with him. I show up and I'm like, here's what we're doing. And he immediately has me doing stuff. The doctor is like, don't do any of that. And he's like, no, no, no. He's saying that for liability. I know you, I know your body. I know the surgery. We're good to go. But like, if they don't have a history with me, which none of the ER docs did, man, they get really upset. We butt heads about it. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. We had this thing. There was almost, almost I'm going to do this against medical advice. You need to get the fuck out of my way. Like it was really bad. They have the NG tube in, Mm -hmm. right? I have to have it in because the fear is if I take it out early, my body's not going to process and it's going to start coming up and I'm going to aspirate or whatever, you know? So it's like a legitimate, you really can't take it out early. You, you, you got to wait until you're ready to take that out. That's a medical, like serious issue. The problem is I have a fucking horrible gag reflex, like a really, <laughs> really bad. Do you know what I mean? Bad. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't, yeah. Like I, I think about shit in my throat. I'll start to be like, I can't, I have a terrible gag reflex. So this tube, this NG tube that goes down my back of my, my nose is making me gag. So like when I feel it or think about it or like whatever, I'll go and it's making me gag. So that's a problem because they're like one of the criteria, the main criteria for when you're ready to take your NG tube out is when you're no longer nauseous. Right. (laughs) But it's making you nauseous. It's making me, it's making me gag. And so I'm in the hospital and like for the first couple of days, I'm like, and dude, like my guts are all fucked up. So like I have this pillow that I have to use to squeeze into my stomach when Mm I gag to hold my intestines in. So, cause if I don't just go like that, it will just blow me out. Right. So I'm like squeezing a pillow into my stomach and dry heaving. And they're like, yeah, I got to keep it in a little longer. And after like two or three days, I'm like, I'm like, I think this is the tube. I think the tube is making me gag. And they're like, well, cause everybody that I'm sure everybody that says anything, yeah, yeah. just like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, man, I think that's what it is. And then a couple of days go by and I'm like, this is definitely what it is. Cause I am not nauseous. I'm telling you it's this tube. And they're like, well, you know, we'll give it another day or two. And I'm like, the longer I wait, I can't start eating food until after I've had the tube out for like a day. And I can't take the tube out until I stop gagging. But I'm like, the tube's making me gag. And after there was this, I was like, I'm going AMA. I'm just against medical advice. I'm taking this thing out. I'm like, you, somebody take it out. Cause I'm about to pull it. <laughs> so like, you know what I mean? You guys decide whether or not we get on the news, but like, this is coming out one way or the other. Right. So like, <laughs> this is happening. And this one doctor came in and he was like, man, I don't think it's the right call, but you know, I'm willing to give it a try. We'll take it out. But if it doesn't work, we're going to have to put it back in. You have to be okay with that. And I was like, if it doesn't work, then I'm wrong. If I'm not, that's the thing that's hard is because people look at me from the outside and they think I don't listen or they think I'm just making stupid decisions and just like, and just running. But like, I'm not, I figure out through like talking to doctors or talking to PTs that are educated and know about me or understand, or like see me for me and not just like read me the riot act. Right. And what they give me as a limit, I do like, I, I, if you, they draw a line in the sand, I do not cross it. 
I run right the fuck up on that bitch. <laughs> I go right on it. I stay on it, but I don't cross it. And I make them look at it again. And I'm like, look, does it still need to be there? And they go, yeah, you're right. And they move it, but I don't, I don't cross it. Right. <laughs> so like I got the doctor to go like, okay, we'll take it out and we'll try, but you got to put it back in if it doesn't work. And I was like, if it doesn't work, then I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to die, dude. I don't want to fuck this up. Like I want to get better. So I'm like, if I'm wrong, then hundred percent, I'll apologize and put it back in and just deal with whatever I got to deal with. And they took it out and immediately it all goes like all the gag reflex, everything stops. I'm not nauseous anymore. And they're like, Oh, cool. Now we can start eating. Man. But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, that- I imagine that's a, that's a challenge. Like not only do you have a level of toughness that they probably aren't experienced in seeing, but also like an awareness of your body just from all the shit that you've done and just that you're into health and fitness, but the jujitsu and everything like you can, you know, like that's what you say. Interesting that you can lift way more because you know how to not brace from within. Like you're aware of your core in a way that most people probably aren't. And that has to be very confusing to most people, right? A hundred percent. Like the doctors are like, you can't pick up more than 20 pounds. Then I'm like, okay, but let me understand why. Talk to me about why. And they're like, because when you do that, you're going to squeeze your stomach and you could blow your intestines. And I'm just like, but if I don't squeeze my, and they're like, if you could not squeeze your stomach, of course it would be okay. And I'm like, yeah. So I just can't brace. Like I, I can't Valsalva without holding something against my stomach for the next eight weeks. And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, this is not a problem. I'll figure that out. You're like I can do that. You know what I mean? But like, they're just so not used to people doing that, that or yeah. understanding or being able to, that they just dumb it down, you know, man, I'll tell you that. And the, but the man, it's been, I think Mandy's side of this was worse. Cause when I was out, she was in super stress, like not knowing what was, I was asleep. I, I had no stress. I woke up with the, Hey, you're not going to die. You got your leg. Like we got work to do, but you're going to be fine, but we got work. Right. Yeah. But she was in the like, is he going to lose his leg? Is he going to fucking die from sepsis? Is he going to have a bag? Like, what's going to happen, you know? And then again, there was a period where I was an invalid, like completely. Like the first couple of weeks, like they wanted me to go to a facility, not a hospital, but like a a rehab facility. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Mm. they wanted me to be there for, I don't know, man, a couple months. And neither one of us wanted it. I was like, I want to go home. You know, I just want to fucking be home. A lot of the reason they wanted me to do it was because I wasn't self-sufficient. Like, dude, I mean, there was probably, it should have been months, but it was actually like a couple of weeks, but there was a period of time where like, dude, she's having to help me. I'm sitting on the toilet and she's like helping me bathe. Cause I can't, if I reach my arm up for too long, it starts to get tired. You know what I mean? Like I can't, yeah. I, I can't reach down. I can't bend because of my stomach. So I like, I can't reach my fucking below my knees to wash. So it's like, She's like bathing me while I'm sitting on the toilet, you know, and that's crushing for me, for her. It's no big deal. Cause her part of the brain is like, I'm helping somebody I love. That's not a problem. She could do that yeah, yeah. without issue. Like I could do it without issue. No problem. But for me, man, like it's not even like a strength. A lot of people look at some of the shit about me and they think it's a strength and it's not most of the time. It's not most of the time. To the time it's bad. It's like the inability to receive help, the inability to ask for help. You know what I mean? Like the fact that having a four week period where I had to ask her, I couldn't carry, I was on fucking crutches. So, like, I can go in the kitchen, but I can't bring a glass of water back to the living room. Yeah. And I'm like, 
So I got to, can you bring me my water? Can you hand me that? Like that sense of helplessness, it was literally everything I could do not to kill myself. Even though I was going to be fine, 100% I'm going to recover guaranteed. I just got to get through X amount of months. The persistent repetitive thought of you can't live like this, like you, this is not okay. You can't be this thing was just like, Probably three weeks, I stared at a wall and was non-responsive because the only thing I could do is just try not to die. It's like being in solitary. Like there's nothing to do and you can't like, you just zone it out. You do your, in jail's easier, dude. Solitary's easier because you can like do your push-ups, do your squats, like shadow box a little bit. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here. I can do breathing exercises and I can stare at a fucking wall. And that's all I could do. And for me, that's like, incredibly difficult you know mandy had to watch me go through that and not be able to really help and i think that's super challenging oh the thing was i was in the hospital and when i was in the hospital i had a catheter and i wasn't eating anything so i wasn't shitting and at some point they're like okay you got to get back on solid food and i was like yeah yeah, no problem but i hadn't really got it through to the end (laughs) (laughs) and like and they're like, okay, so, you know what I mean? I try to eat some food and I'm like, I'm keeping it down. And they're like, all right, so we're going to have to have your wife come in and show her how to help you with this bedpan. And she's going to have to wipe you. And I was just like, no, <laughs> like it, as soon as they said it, I was like, nah, we're not doing this, dude. I've, I've run a, I should have been dead at 18. I'm 50. I've had a, a bonus years more than I deserve. <laughs> I'm good, man. This has been a long enough run, dude. We're doing, I'm not, no, sorry. And it was like one day they were like, you know, I mean, they got to get orderlies to come in and roll me up on my fucking side. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, okay, what's the next thing? And they're like, well, if it's not a bedpan, then there's this toilet that sits beside your bed and you like get help to get yourself in it. And then they sit and watch you while you shit. And then they help you wipe. And then you get back in bed. And I'm like, and then after that, it's the bathroom. They're like, yeah. And it should be, it's going to be like weeks at each stage or whatever. And like, the, the nurse, you're supposed to ring the nurse and the nurse comes in and I'm like, I've taken all my shit into the bathroom. Like I got out of bed and fucking crutched my ass into the bathroom I didn't even have any crutches. So I'm just like, I'm like balanced fucking, do you know what I mean? Like hobbling yeah, in the yeah. bathroom. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to the fucking bathroom. They're like, this is not okay. You can't do this. And I'm like, no, no, no. Look, this is happening. We're skipping both of those stages and we're going straight to the toilet because I'm fucking not doing that. But it was like, dude, I had a catheter and I had my IV and an epidural. So it's like these stands. And then my leg was still in this vacuum pack with like a motor. That was like pulling shit out of it. So I was just, I was like dragging all this stuff across the floor to get to the fucking bathroom. First, they were really annoyed by me. But then afterwards, all those nurses were like, oh man, you're inspirational. But at the time they were like, would you fucking stop? Yeah, yeah. I can relate to what you're saying, Jay, to a far less degree. When I was a kid, I used to go snow skiing quite regularly. Long story short. It was the last run of the day and I, I was doing stupid tricks off moguls in the snowfield, and it went badly and I crashed and came down hard and I thought I'd dislocated my shoulder. By the time I got to the medical hospital up there, they said, yeah, look, it is a dislocation, but when you get to the bottom of the mountain, you're going to need to go to the proper hospital and have it thoroughly checked out. 
once they did check it out, they realized it wasn't just a dislocation. It actually broke the top off the rotator head and torn a lot of ligaments. So it wasn't just a reset. It was putting it all back in place. So they did that. I've got titanium in my shoulder and it was an absolute fucking mess. I was in hospital for a week just with that. And I literally, thinking about you talking about the toilet episode, I remember them saying the same thing to me and they wiped my butt once. That freaked me right out. Like I really, Mm -hmm. that lack of independence was quite challenging for me. I really suffered internally over somebody else having to do that job. I did the same thing as you did. I pulled myself out of bed. I grabbed my IV and walked into the toilet and passed out (laughs) in the bathroom and ended up shitting myself because I was so stubborn about it. But they said to me, just for the next couple of days, this is how it's going to go down because you've just had major surgery. You know, you've been under six hours in general anesthetic. It's how it has to be. And I'm not, you know, comparing apples to apples. I wasn't in a car wreck. I had my shoulder done, but I understand how that feels, that part of it. I've spoken to women who had babies and they said, Glenn, there's no thing that doesn't happen when you have a baby, like everything's out, you know, like you got to do all these sort of things and doctors are poking and prodding all over the place and, and doing all that stuff. Like that's their job. They're used to it. They see everything and they do everything. And I, but I had never experienced that before and I never realized how the helplessness of the situation was quite demeaning to me at the time. And then you're right. The next six weeks was recovery time. And the first two weeks was just terrible. It was just sitting there in pain, having to take high level painkillers all the time. And I was in the prime fitness of my life then. I was kickboxing. I was doing all the things that I loved. I was 20 something years old, I think 21 years old when it all happened. It was just crazy. I thought, how unfair is this? So what I want to actually do is I just wanted to quickly roll back to the night that I found out it happened because that was quite jarring for not only me, but also for a lot of people because We were all asleep in Australia at the time and I remember I had my phone on. I usually leave my phone on at night and I had my phone on next to me in bed and I I heard ding, 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 ding and all these messages started coming through and I'm thinking this is really unusual. Like every now and then it will be somebody sending something through from America um, and then I'll just press silent on the phone but the feverishness of it was incredible. So I grabbed my phone, I had a look, and it was literally the Rolodex of IACP people. Melanie Benware, Josh Moran, you know, like all these people started messaging me going, hey, dude, you need to see this. Like your buddy Jay's been in a bad wreck and it's not looking good. Immediately I was just pitched. You know, I jumped out of bed and I thought, holy shit. I was having conversations with a few people and I said, what's happened? What do you know? And they said, not much news, but it's been on the news there's been discussions about Jay being involved in this accident and it's touch and go for him at the moment. So we're trying to track down information at the moment without being too invasive and we don't want to rattle anybody that's connected to him because I'm sure that they're off their head with worry about what's actually going on. Pat's an early riser, so I messaged Pat and I said, hey, man, check this out. Something really terrible is going down with Jay and uh, Pat had the same sort of reaction. You know, we were both quite rattled about it. And like you do when things like that happen with a friend, you're trying to find out what's going on, what can we do? Because the whole community just felt this jarring sense of uselessness and helplessness because we're watching this event rolling out with you and it just didn't seem real. It was one of those very surreal moments. But as we started to get more information and it started to appear less likely that you're going to pass away from the event, what I really loved was the legacy that you have set within the community because there was just an outpouring of absolute love and support from people that I thought didn't even know who you were. 
but there were people all over the world that I was reading their messages and even people that I was in conversations with. Pat and I were over doing the PSA Nationals and I think it was during that time and people were talking to us about it then. There were people in the UK, there were people in Europe, there were people all over Australia that I could just see on forums very, very concerned about you and wanting to support you and wanting to send well wishes to you and Mandy about this whole event and were just absolutely torn up about the whole thing. So that's one of the areas that I tell people in this whole industry that we're in. One of the most important things that I believe that we can do for people is create legacy and leave a legacy behind. And I can see that from how people responded to it, the incredible legacy that you've already set of how many people wanted to be involved and and wanted to help you on your journey and wanted to be a part of your recovery and so forth. So this has been the most emotionally challenging thing I've ever gone through. Yeah. For a number of different reasons, like the lack of independence and the like not knowing what's going to happen and just all, all the bullshit. But like another part of it is like the amount that people have emoted i don't know the right word you know the amount that people have in my head it's hard to see the impact that you've made from where you're sitting especially since i don't do that like i just don't i don't know like somebody would ask me like somebody goes oh man that video got a lot of views i fucking don't know i don't look outside of individual interactions i have no idea where the ripples go i'm not like paying attention and like looking to see and i don't really engage a lot and so it's like I know I've talked to a lot of people and I know I've attempted to affect a lot of people, both in jujitsu and dogs, but like you don't realize until some shit like this happens and you just get a wave of people that care about it coming back at you. And that's like, that's tough for me, man, because it's like, I just don't uh, do well. (laughs) <laughs> with that shit mm. i'd rather fight 12 guys with box cutters than have a bunch of affection coming at me you know what i mean it's hard for me yeah so it's like that was really fucking challenging um and like the people set up a gofundme i didn't have anything to do with that i make a thing about like i don't ask for help you know which is obviously not a ideal way to be but like that's for sure like uh they set that up and there was so many people that put in on that and like talked about it. It was just fucking unreal. It was crazy. And it's like, you don't expect that, you know, like I don't do things to get back. I do them just to do them. But like the amount I got back was like stunning, but very emotionally challenging for me. Mm. Like I said, when you're talking about legacy and the impact that you've had on people, I mean, there's a myriad of people that when I talk to them about your coaching, your teaching, your outreach, the care and attention and the follow-up that you've had with people over a period of time, I guess that's why it was reciprocated so well, is that there is a lot of people out there who pretend to like people and pretend to care about people, but, you know, it's mainly about them. It's mainly about collecting into their funnel. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that there's been a lot of people that you've changed their life. You've done things that have had an incredible impact with people. It's not just about training their dogs. It's also just a philosophy on living a better life and being a better person and so forth. And I think Pat and I both subscribe to that in our own ways and collectively through this podcast and a lot of the outreach that we have. And we're we're trying, we're really trying to do things like that. And I think it's important that there's a bunch of other good people out there as well that 
do that thing as well. They really care about this industry and they care about the people in it. They want to do good and they want to see people succeed and do well. But like I said, mate, you don't really fake that. You wear your heart on your sleeve and you carry it. You know, like I can't fake anything. Yeah, you are who you are. And I think it's refreshing because a lot of people have to wear masks to fit in, to pretend to be somebody. Like they have to show this different persona of who they are because they think society won't accept them if they see that's who they are. So along right. comes you, you're rough, you can be, you know, you've got abrasive language and everything. Sure. <laughs> and I, I've always loved it. It fits in well with me. and But it does for so many other people as well. Like a lot of other people think this is completely different to what everybody else does. Like everybody else is trying to put on a show and dress up and impress that way. And along comes Jay. And I think everyone goes, that's the uniqueness that is been missing. And, and that's what they love you about. So I think people have to think about authenticity and mm. what you're trying to achieve. Cause there's so many people online, online in general, but like in this industry specifically that like they want the reciprocity, they want the attention back. They want the admiration. They want that shit so bad. But I think the reason that I have any of that is because I'm not trying to get it. Like, I'm just, I want to help people. I try as hard as I can to help people and I don't want anything back. In fact, I'm uncomfortable getting things back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want any of it back, but it's like, because of that, you can see it. There's just this massive amount of, you know, reciprocity that comes back to me. And it's like, I think that people that chase it don't get as much of it. And I think the people that get the most of it, I think are the most authentic. Mm. You know, I think that you can really just be authentically who you are. I think it opens a lot of shit for you, you know? I was thinking about you a lot as it happened. And as I sent you a message, just sort of, I know you pretty well because I, I think we share a lot of things in common. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to leave him alone. He knows like he has my support. He knows that I'm not going to harass him because it's the worst thing ever when you're like, hey, man, how you going? You're like, you know, I'm fucking unwell. <laughs> like, I don't want to pretend. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm glad that you kind of see it. And I want to say it out loud, even though I know you know this, but I think that the support that you got, that GoFundMe, the number on it is just a, a metric. Like it's something that gives you something to measure. It's not that you want or expect anything from everyone, but it's a thing that you can look at and go, holy fuck, like that is the support. And I know that you don't like receiving things back. I know how hard it is to accept that kind of help. It's interesting, you know, talking about, I was thinking as you were saying it, if the roles were reversed and it was Mandy in that position, you wouldn't hesitate. It's really difficult. I get it. When you are the helper of someone, and especially when it's someone you love, like I'm happy to be doing this. There's no resentment. There's no nothing. There's nothing like that. And in fact, it often gives you a sense of pride to know that you can be that for the person. But you just cannot turn that around when it's you that needs a support. I understand that totally. Like I've, I've never in a situation the same as yours, but similar enough that I, I could empathize and be like, I know the fucking dirtiness of that feeling. And it's so hard to turn that around and be go, okay, well, I would happily do this for others. I have to let them happily do it for me. But I think, you know, observing the support that the industry gave to you. First of all, the dog industry, and I know there are a lot of jujitsu people that were involved in everything as well. And it actually kind of warmed my heart quite a lot because I was like, wow, that's everybody coming together over a shared thing that we love, which turns out to be you, right? But I think that the way that you would look at it, and I know that you would have done this, is like, oh, this is a measure of the influence that you've been trying to achieve something. Yeah. This is the measure of having achieved it. 
Because then when you find yourself in the position of being the person that needs help, as much as you fucking hate to admit that, as much as you hate to be that person, the help that comes your way, you have to see that as the measure of the help that you've given others over the period that you've been available to do so. Yeah, like it's one of those things where, again, like I don't do anything to get anything back. Like if I got $10 million in the lottery, I would do everything exactly the same. You know, Mm -hmm. like I wouldn't change anything. The only reason I take money for any of the activities I do is because money makes the world and I got to get it. Yeah, you have to. You got to dig a ditch or do this. You know what I mean? But like this is, I do what I do because it's what I'm called to do, you know, like, but it's like, man, you want to help people and you want to make a difference and you hope. It's like raising your kid, I'm guessing. Do you know what I mean? Like you you put them out, like you have this thing, you like you have this microcosm where you like you affect this person and you 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 raise them in a certain small way, you know, and then you push them out. And it's like I don't interact a ton with people after that. You know, I hear about stuff, whatever, but like I'm not the guy that's like fishing for compliments or trying to stay in their life. I'm just like, I hope that worked and I move on to the next project. Yeah. But like you don't realize until some shit like this. You don't realize how much you've affected until, man, like it's crazy that GoFundMe, it's not just the amount of money or whatever, but like people leave messages and people like you can see, like a lot of people do anonymous, but you like, you see names and and that they did it. And it's crazy because it's people from 20 years ago. Mm. There's a kid, it's not a kid anymore. There's a guy who the life lesson he learned from me was unfortunately the one that ended our fucking relationship. But it's like, it's one of those this is a matter of honor. And like 20 years mm-hmm. later, like I wish well for the guy. We'll never speak again. I wish well for you. I hope you learned what you needed to learn from that. And I hope you're doing really well. Like I have no bad will towards you, but like there's lines in the sand, you know what I mean? And like, that's the lesson that that kid had to learn was that there are lines and you mm-hmm. got to be aware of them and you can fuck relationships up if you don't watch the lines. And that guy, 20 years later, like that guy donated something. Yeah. I mean, which is crazy because even though the lesson was a spanking, yeah, yeah. He, like he still got something out of it enough that was like, no, 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 that was important. You know, that's the testament, mate. Love comes in many forms, you know, and sometimes it's soft and sometimes it's fucking hard. And yep. like, I think that you are known enough to provide that. And sometimes it, <laughs> sometimes it's violent, <laughs> but it's never without thought. I think that's sure. the main thing. And I think that like, we've all probably been in situations where you you think, fuck off, it's hard done by by that person. And then when you're on the opposite side of it and you then have to give that lesson to someone else, I think that's the moment of reflection where you sit down and go, oh, fuck. Not only did I need to hear that, but I'm thankful that I did. I'm sure that's, a, you know, I don't know the specifics, but I'm sure that's exactly sure. what happened with that situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, man, like dude, the, the kid that, like, there's this guy that made a video he made a video like he's a jujitsu student, but he made a video and it was really touching. It was like just this whole thing about how his life was all fucked and like turned him around and got him to stop drinking and taught him how to teach jujitsu and encouraged him to open a gym. And he has a gym probably 20 miles away from me. Like I encouraged him to open it, even though it's still in my market. I'm like, I don't care, dude. Like I support you. It's fucking great. Like your guys get a discount, whatever. So it's like that guy made a video and it was really moving and really touching, but it's like, dude, probably 15. 10, 15 years ago, something like that, when he was just coming up and he had just started to get a little bit, like he'd just gotten a blue belt and he was kind of helping with classes. And he was like, just starting to get a little bit of powers, the wrong word, but like some kind of like substance. Yeah. Yeah, 
And he like, it just like that went to his head and he was acting like a real dick. And like, man, I, he was, he, he was helping teach and he said something shitty to a, to somebody like something like snooty. And I was like, Hey man, what he meant to say was blah, 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 blah. And I like kind of called him on it in front of the guy I was like, he didn't mean that blah, 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 whatever. Picked on him a little bit. And the guy walked off. No problem. Turned around and looked at him and said, you'll never teach here again. I love you, but that's not okay. Like you'll mm-hmm. never teach here again. And so you can train here. I'll help you. But like that, that'll never, you can't talk to people like that. Like that's not okay. And so like, wasn't allowed to teach and like eventually moved away and opened his own gym and started teaching. And we were still speaking. Wasn't bad, but like he opened his own gym after he opened his own gym. He was like, Oh dude, <laughs> I got all the lessons. <laughs> I he like, he's like, man, I had the exact same talk with at least two other people last week, dude. You know what I mean? And like 10 years later, he moves back to Maine and he's great. And he's got a, you know what I mean? It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But like that dude, like that was a potential falling apart. Somebody could have gotten all pissed off and fuck you. And like, I think we're going to run it back to dog training at some point. I think if you are really thoughtful and in your heart, you are loving and wanting to give a lesson and not vent on somebody. I think even in spankings, people can feel cared for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just on that topic and following on from what Pat was talking about before and then you continuing on from it, I think that what happens a lot in life is we often forget to tell people while they're alive how important they are to us. And during their eulogy, you get all these people reading wonderful sentiments and sharing stories and love and affection for the person. And you're thinking to yourself, why didn't I know all these wonderful things about this person while they were alive? When Michael Ellis was here, him and I went for a long walk and I really got to have an outpouring of of love and appreciation for him and tell him how much he's done for this industry and how much he means not only to me but to everybody. And Michael's one of those people, he sees the sentiment and the truth behind it and understands that's really an outpouring of love and affection for him. And I've had the same thing from students of mine before. They've told me this and when it first happened, I felt that, oh, this is just somebody telling me some fictitious story and I didn't know how to take it. They say to me, oh, you know, you mean this to me and so forth. I go, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. And it's really taken a long time to be able to accept that. So I kind of know what you mean, Jay. You know, I know that sometimes it feels artificial or sometimes you feel, you know, this is weird. I don't know what to do with this. But more recently when people have shown outpourings of affection, I realize that they're doing the thing that I recommend that people do is if people are important to you, tell them while they're alive, share it with them. And I was so happy to see and read those messages as well. You know, like I saw beautiful messages from Larry every day, um, making sure you were, you were good and making sure you, you felt loved and connected with. He was just one of hundreds of people I was reading, you know, scrolling through messages, but I really do. I, I, I need to emphasize how important this is because there's a lot of people who are really good teachers, really good mentors, and really have shifted gears in our lives. Tell them if somebody's important to you, make that phone call. Pat and I were talking about this the other day about how we used to make time to have phone calls with people and share stories and share intimacies with other people. Do it. Connect with people. We just don't do this enough. We're spending too much time focusing on creating reels about ourselves and so forth like that. Like if there's somebody 
who's still alive and they still mean something to you, pick up the phone or send a message to them, connect with them in some way because that's a part of humanity we can't afford to lose. And I I really don't want to read nice things about people at their eulogy that I never said to their face. Like if I care about them and I love them that much, I really want to say it to them in life. I am trying. I'm on a mission to actually do those things. It's no secret, Jay. I've told you personally before. I mean, you're one of my favorite people. I think that you're wonderful what you do. And it's not just to win points with you or try and be your best friend or anything like that. It doesn't matter if it's reciprocated or not. It's not about what I need from you. It's what I'm telling you, what you mean to other people. And you've you've done the same thing. You know, like I've sat in awe and listened to things that you've said to people and the way that I see people resonate with you and how much community that you build around you. And I find that with Pat too. There's a lot of things that I wanted to do and have done. And I found that having Pat come along and he helps me improve on those things and then takes it and makes it better. And he's becoming the new generation of a person who's younger and more passionate and coming into the industry. You yeah. know, like you guys are two of my favorite people in the, in the, this whole industry and even just as human beings. And I'd never want anything to happen to either one of you and not have you know what that means to me to have this because this is legacy and it's important to me as well. Yeah, I think that telling people is important. But I think there's a certain amount of like feeling involved. Like I don't really need a lot of words. Like, mm-hmm. like again, Pat was like, you know, he didn't write, but like no part of me is like, oh, I guess he didn't give a fuck. It's like <laughs> I'll have people that I haven't spoken to in fucking 15 years or something. And it's like, I don't need a lot of upkeep. Like the connection is still there if it's real, if it's like a real thing then it's still there it doesn't need a lot of you know day-to-day like hey what you doing and blah 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 you know what i mean like it's a depth of connection that is there enough that when they're back there you're like there it is like it just picks right up and it's the same i prefer people with deep feelings and less words than people with more words and less feeling <laughs> you know what i mean somebody's like man i love you and i'm like if i don't feel it i'm like eh. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? But like, and then there's somebody else that can just nod at you and you're like, I felt that, you know what Mm, I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah, for sure. Life is short. Tell people you love them, hug fucking people, make connections and keep them going because fucking life's short, dude. Like shit happens just out of nowhere. You wake up fucking dead. (laughs) (laughs) Just gone. You know what I mean? Like shit like this makes you have a, I mean, I don't know, man, I made peace with death a long time ago. So it's like, it didn't make me more aware that like life can end because I've kind of already accepted it, but it's like, it makes you face that assumption. You're like, do you really think that like, are you really that? Okay. You know, but like makes me realize the moments that you let pass because you think you got a bunch of them. You really can't let pass. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the, the depth of feeling is more important than the words, but I think the idea of not letting those moments go because you assume you're going to have another one is really important. Mm. Yeah. To steal another song line, love is a verb. It's a thing that you do. It's not just a noun. Like you don't just yeah. say it. Yeah. I have a, a line that I have for everything. It's for people, for dogs, for all of it. Right. Like I say, want for, not from. That's just a, a life mantra of mine. Want for, not from. Right. So like, I think by doing that, that's what to me, love feels like, you know, for, not from, because the more you want from somebody, the less, I feel like it's inversely proportional. You know what I mean? Like 
if I have this outpouring of like, I want for you, I need nothing from you. I want for you entirely. That feels like love to me where you start. What do I need back from you? Like that feels like fulfilling your own needs. If two people love each other, if people love one another, then it works beautifully. It's perfectly balanced because both people want for the other one. So everybody gets their needs met, but it's not because you extracted or you wanted or you demanded, you know? So like for me, if somebody has that vibe towards you, it's easy to have a relationship and it doesn't need maintenance and it doesn't take a lot of shit. You can have very sporadic contact and it never changes the way it feels because when you connect, it's always that feeling of they don't want from you. They want for you, you know, mm. which Man, is also curious to receive things. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's what I'm curious about, right? Having been through this, you're a pretty stoic person or like one of the most stoic you know, a lot of people, when they have such a life-altering near-death experience, they wake up and it's like, oh, I'm going to change this and this. But I'm curious if there's anything for you because you're, like, you're pretty straight. Like, this is my <laughs> life. This is how I live it. I live it at the best way I can. No. Any changes? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I love it. Which makes me very happy. Because yeah, exactly. I wasn't wrong. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if I were to be like, oh man, everything, I got to move. I got to start skiing or something. Then it's like, either that's this crazy response and that's not real. And that's like my freak out overcompensation, or I have been living incongruent with who, what I am and just didn't know, mm. you know, what I mean? so the fact that nothing changed. Like, so for example, I just, I just replaced my car, right? I got the same car. <laughs> <laughs> at the same year i got the same year i got the same car i didn't get the same color because they didn't have it but i got the same fucking car because it's like you didn't change anything like fuck yeah. you bro. flip the world off like you shot in my face you changed nothing i came out the other side same like nothing changed i didn't change the fucking car i didn't change the route i drive to work i drive past that goddamn wreck site every day it's just fucking, you know I mean? <laughs> like, change nothing you change nothing that yeah. was the thing i got from my dad when i was a kid it's like getting beat up wasn't a problem getting made to be different was a problem like mm. if the dude whoops your ass you can't be here you're not supposed to be in my hallway and he beats the shit you can just get your shit beat out as long as you're in the hallway the next day, you're like, st- <laughs> hey man, I'm still here. Like you whoop my ass, but that didn't change anything. Like you changed nothing. You did not affect me. You can beat me up, but you can't change me. And so like, that's a feeling of like, yeah, nothing changed. That's why I got the same car. I would be open to change. I don't feel like I'm closed off enough that I would be stubborn and stick with stupid ideas because I'm not going to change. I feel like I'm open to change. I, I try to be introspective and grow as a person, but like, no, man, fortunately I have lived my life in an authentic enough way. And in a, a way that I think is congruent to who I really am, that there was nothing to change. There was no, like, I got to get out of this career. I got to start doing more of this, or I got to call that guy more often. Like, the good gut check for me was that like, no, man, my life is exactly what I want it to be. And there's nothing to change because this is literally all I would do. Like if I won the lottery, if I like, this is what I would do, like no matter what. So that's, that's an a incredible good, position to be in, man. Mm. Dude, it's weird. Cause the other part of this that's hard is the inspirational thing. People are like, oh man, you're inspirational. Oh man, you're kicking ass. And it's like, I'm not doing anything. 
Do you know what I mean? It's like people that get excited about a Malinois that wants to chase a ball or something. Like, he's, <laughs> he's not dedicated. He's just ball. Like there's Can't no do anything else. There's nothing else to do. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't be in anything other than that. Like people look at this thing, this recovery, and they're like, man, you're pushing so hard and you're doing so much and whatever. And it's like, you're inspirational. And I'm not special in the sense that I'm not doing, I have a terrible work ethic. I have no work ethic. And that's hard because people see me accomplish a lot and do a bunch of shit, but it's like, I can't not do this. Like, this is what I do. Like, I don't do jujitsu because I'm dedicated enough to go through the grind. I fucking love doing it. I pick up heavy yeah. things, not because I'm David Goggins and I'm embracing this. I just enjoy picking up heavy shit. And like, I don't know, man, like I don't like how it feels to sit still. So I move and I want to accomplish. So I got to get up. And if I want to do jujitsu, I got to get my leg back under me. So I got to do my PT. And he says, do three sets of 10. So do three sets of 10. I haven't checked my email in forever. We haven't plugged our fucking landline in. We have, we moved to a new building two years ago. I haven't plugged the landline in. I don't even have a phone. in the building. <laughs> you, know, you can't call yeah. my gym. That's terrible. Like that's like lazy as shit. I got to make a dump run. My garbage piles up and I got to take it in a fucking truck to the dump. I haven't done that in like two weeks. Like, fortunately, it's cold outside, so there's no fucking bugs. But like, that's lazy. That's so lazy. Outside of the stuff that I'm driven to do, called to do, I, I got nothing. I got no work ethic. So like, mm. I'm not impressive. I'm not special. Like, I'm just driven, which is not the same thing. Because here's the deal. There's a promoter of local uh, local fights out here. There's a promoter. And he got in a fucking car wreck or something. I don't, I think it was a car wreck. Dude, he's full on paraplegic. He uses like one of his hands and like can, he has his wheelchair and shit, maybe both hands. I don't know, but he's like, dude, he's in a chair and he's mm. fucking, he's crippled, like not talking shit. And I'm not sure, I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah. Word, but he is literally wheelchair bound forever. And like, you know, got to put a board between him and the thing to slide across. Like he's handicapped. And that dude writes me so much now. And it makes me so uncomfortable because he's like, you are so inspiring. And I'm like, dude, I'm lucky, bro. <laughs> like, I'm not doing, do you know what I mean? Like if I had your spinal injury, there's no amount of determination and grit that's going to get me out of the chair. I just got lucky as fuck and I can move my leg better than most people in this injury. Like it's just, it's pure luck and following what I do. Like I'm driven to do this. I'm pulled to do this. I'm not pushing. Have you seen any of the stuff Sapolsky's doing lately? Uh, uh, no. What's he doing? Uh, it's, well, it's, it's, it's not the free kit, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He's a, I'm really fucked up over this, right? Because for years I've been like, Sapolsky's our guy. Everything he says is true. He knows everything and we need to treat every word that comes out of his mouth as sacred text. And now I've just found out he's a determinist. And he's like, you have no such thing as free will. Everything goes the way it's meant to go. And I'm like, oh, nope. no. I won't have either of you shit mouthing Uncle Bobby. So just be careful. You're treading on like, thin ice, both oh of you. No, because I believe you. So now I think this is true. And now I like, well, fuck, like it's just gonna be what it's gonna be. And and he's not a determinist in the like spiritual, the the timeline is written. He's like, your brain chemistry is what it is. You have the capacity that you have, you have the willpower that you have, and you'll never have any more. And that was determined by your genetics and your early upbringing. And you will pass that on to the next people. Like it's quite fucking scary and horrible. It's a weird, thought. it's a weird thought. Cause when I hear him talk about free will, part of my brain is like, I get all upset because fuck that free will. Like I, <laughs> 
determine my own fate. <laughs> Fuck you. Like I make a choice. Yeah. But then the other part of me thinks he's, it's a little bit of a semantic. Like if I flip a coin, okay, dude, the barometric pressure and the amount of inertia on the inscription in the thing, it couldn't have gone any other way than it went. Mm. Like at that moment with that gravitational pull and that inertia rotation, if you could recreate exactly the same, if I could make the exact yeah. same force and the exact same barometric pressure and the exact same, it would happen the same way 100% of the time. They did a recreation of the old movie, The Time Machine, and it was a Australian actor, Guy Pierce is his name or something like that. He was in Australian soap operas. Anyway, the whole point to it is he kept going back in time when he invented this time machine to try and save his girlfriend that was killed, and that was the inspiration for him to create the time machine. But every time he tried to save her, she just died in a different way because everything was written as it was. So there was nothing he could do because every time he saved her, she died a different way. And sometimes it was more horrible and gruesome than the other way that she died before. So those sort of things, that fucked with my mind when I saw that because I thought that's just not how I want time machine movies to work out. I want want to be able to go back in time and change it like Bill and Ted or something like that where it just gets better and you become rich and famous. But speaking on that, Jay – you mentioned before about if you won lotto, nothing would change. I had the opportunity to sit down with somebody who, this is years ago, a guy that he won a considerable sum in a syndicate. And I think each person got like $15 million each. It was a huge jackpot. And just by chance, we're sitting down and talking. And he said that for him, it was the worst thing that ever happened to him because it derailed him and he became something that he wasn't supposed to be. And he said, my life changed. He said, I was considerably unhappy after it happened. I was surrounded by sycophants, people who were advising me, people who were always trying to get my money off me, people who thought that I owed them a debt or something that just because I won this money that I had to give it to him. He said, in the end, I literally did give it all away. And he said, now I've returned to my lifestyle. And he goes, and I found that I'm happy again because this is who I'm supposed to be. This is the bedrock that I was set in. And this was the life that I was supposed to have. And again, that was one of those fuck around moments for me. I kind of thought, well, how could that be? Like, how could you not want a better house or a bigger car? And he's, he just said, I don't know. It just didn't work out that way. None of those things made me happy. It felt like it was carving a bigger hole in my chest and it just made me more desperate to return to my roots. And he said, and then when I did, I found out none of those things mattered. What mattered was being true to myself and just living this life that feels normal where I can go camping and I can disappear and go off grid for a period of time. And he was a dog guy as well. And he said, you know, just being with my dogs, he said, those were the important things. And I'm happy going back to work and doing all those things. He said, it's kind of like I've had this major disruption for several years of my life. And then I've just reset on my path. And I know that's not always a story. I mean, some people just go, yeah, fuck it. I'm giving up work and, you know, I'm buying the, yeah, the clampet house. And- the depression rates in like, like, uh, you know, Aboriginal, like, you know, third world country, like out foraging for roots and berries and shit. Like the depression rates are so much lower than the millionaires club. Mm-hmm. Like so different, like having a purposeful life is kind of the key to happiness. There's a book that was actually really important to me. It's out of print now. It's called Power Therapy. Power in the sense of Nietzsche power, which most people don't understand because they immediately think about power over others, but power as in the definition of resistance overcome, right? This book, Power Therapy, uh, was a psychiatrist and he was talking about how self-efficacy, the ability to 
navigate your world skillfully and have like purpose, like I need to accomplish this to get A, B, and C to occur. Like you see the resistance set out ahead of you. You have to overcome the resistance. You skillfully overcome the resistance. That's the key to happiness, right? And talks about trying to make a more authentic life. And if you can't, this is, you hear dog stuff, my approach with dogs in this as well, because the most direct path is doing the thing, like go live in the woods, <laughs> get rid of all your shit, live in the woods, forage for roots and berries. You'll be fucking ecstatic. You know what I mean? Like if you could actually make yourself live the life that we were primarily designed to live, like, you know, small groups of really connected community, all working together to, you know, get goods and services. Like, that's like, that's, that's it. That's the shit. Like that's, that's perfect. Right. So it's like, if you can't do that, then you do surrogate activities. You pick random shit that might not be directly related, but it still gives you purpose and goal and like the idea of overcoming resistance. Right. I mean, I follow that approach with dogs, obviously that book was super important to me when I was younger and learning how to put my life together. But like that idea of a lot of people, they win a bunch of money, they get a windfall and it takes the purpose away. They have more leverage in the world as in they can do more shit, but there is no resistance to overcome. Like the amount of money they got obliterated the resistance. There's no resistance, but now there's no resistance to overcome. So you just sit around like, now what? And you'll make up your own resistance. You'll make problems in relationships that you can have resistance to try to overcome. You'll decide this company is out to get you and we're going to do a hostile takeover. You'll, you'll literally invent resistance to have something to overcome, you know? Yeah. And when they go back to living a more normal, like more purposeful life, they go back to work and they're like, oh, now I have resistance to overcome and I feel better, you know? Well, that's always yeah. been the perplexing thought in my head is why are these multi, multi, multi-millionaire venture capitalist, like still getting up on an alarm clock and still going to work every day, but it's the struggle they need. It's not the it's yeah. not the money, it's just the drive and the ambition to fulfill the next project because it's the project that keeps them going. It's not the money, it's the project. Happiness, like, you know, fucking Nietzsche, happiness is resistance overcome, you know? Like uh, uh, self-esteem is based on self-efficacy, like a sense of fulfillment in life and happiness in life is based on self-efficacy, this idea of overcoming resistance. And that is the key, you know, if your life naturally provides that to you, great. Like, again, like some, you know, Aboriginal culture, like they have nothing but resistance to overcome and their happiness index is way high, like super high. And then you go to more affluent, areas and the the rates of happiness are lower and lower because we don't have natural resistance. We either manufacture it or we live in its absence. And sometimes the way that we manufacture it is not healthy. Instead of like going to the gym and learning a new language, like you know what I mean? Like manufacturing a thing that is going to be productive for you to overcome, they'll just start arguing with their wife, like self-sabotaging themselves at work. And like, but they're going to create it's like we need resistance to overcome and our brain seeks it, you know? So it's like, mm. if you don't have it provided for naturally, you have to invent it. You have to make it up. I mean, again, since it's a dog training podcast, like that goes back to dogs to me, like that's literally what it is. How many times have we taken a dog that's super destructive, given him a job and now he's all good. It's like, yeah. if you don't provide the resistance, they're going to make it. Because that's yeah. nature. Nature is overcoming resistance, you know? Yeah. It's never about the pursuit of happiness. It's about the happiness in the pursuit. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Yeah. It's the just successful because if you succeed too easily, it wasn't resistance. You're not happy. And if yeah. you fail to succeed, you're, you don't have self-efficacy. That's a blow. It's the just man, almost whew, I did it. Like that's where you're happy. Mm. Mate, talking dogs, you very sadly lost one of the dogs that you just got in the wreck. Let's not poke that wound. We'll talk about you. We'll talk about you all day, but let's not poke that. But yeah. tell us about you have another dog. You've got a young dog. How's that going? Is Has that been something that you can lean on? Are you training? Jazz told me that she told you to do some shaping, which <laughs> made your head explode because you're stuck in a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate shaping. Yeah. So... In the beginning, man, I was like, we had been planning on these puppies and I was healthy and I was all amped and ready to go. And we started daily updates on Patreon and I was like going to lay out all the training, you know what I mean? And it was probably three weeks after we got them that I got hit, maybe a month, but like three, four weeks max. And I got hit and dude, it was like all of a sudden, even, I mean, I train differently than a lot of people do. You guys know, but your general pet people, like they immediately start working on obedience and all this kind of stuff. And for me, I want to develop our play relationship. I want to get like lifestyle situated, like the windows, right? I want to get like, I want the dog to have the ability to turn on when it's appropriate, turn off when it's not, not worried. You know, he's housebroken in the sense that he knows not to poop in the house, but he also knows not to go bananas. It's like, that's reserved for these times. I'm way before I worry about sit down, stand, who gives a shit? Like that's way later. That's super easy way later. Yeah. And so like, I'd spend about a month going um, with both dogs. It's one of those weird, you don't want to say like, God damn it, it's hard. You don't want to say like, it might've been better if it was the other one. Right. But like, we have two dogs and both are extraordinarily well-bred. They're great dogs and they're both going to do really well. They're both going to perform really, really well. But Sue, the one that is still here, has a little bit of nerve, not crazy. I remember talking to you about it before the wreck, Mm -hmm. right? Just a little Mm -hmm. bit, just like going through a little fear period. And he's past his fear period. He's good. But like, he's just, if somebody he doesn't know goes to pet him, he has a, whoa, and kind of hunkers down a little bit. And that's not, I wouldn't have selected for that. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't have been like, that's the dog for me. But like, he's here and that's what it is. And so we're good. He's got toy drive. If I play it right. And I, you know, like he'll hang off a toy, but like, he's not one of those in the middle of the weirdest situation. You can pull out a toy and he will lose everything for the toy. Like he's not that Mm -hmm. dog. He's just not great prospect. Going to be a great dog. He's a perfect lifestyle dog, like general lifestyle comes to the gym, hangs out. It's cool with dogs, cool with people, not environmentally timid, like take him anywhere. He'll play games. He'll do some sports, He's not going to be a rock star unless he ages into his development and discovers the game, you know, but like at this point, you know, he looks like a medium to good sport prospect, a perfect house dog, medium to good sport prospect. How old is he now? He's eight months, right? Okay. Eight months. Maddie, the one that we lost was a fucking monster. Like, Took him to the grocery store, parking lot, shit's going, show him a toy, hang off the toy, smash him into a shopping cart, doesn't give a fuck, like nothing, like no fear, no timidness, drivey, like lose himself inside of the toy, no self-preservation, which sounds bad for most people with a lifestyle dog, but to me, I'm like, yeah, that's the dream. 
So like we got two dogs. One was like the fucking pinnacle and one was like really, really nice. And we lost the one that was like the monster. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, that's tough. We've already talked to the breeder. They had another litter, really good dogs. So we're getting another puppy out of one of his litters. It'll be probably February, March before we get it. You can't replace, like, it's not, a, oh, we got to replace that dog. Cause it's the, it's, there's no, nah, yeah. there's replacing yeah, yeah. the dog, but there is a hole now because both of us, it's like, we always have, like, there's a shadow. Each person has their shadow, you know? Yeah. Right now we have one shadow. So it's like, we were getting another one. Um, so that should be moving forward, but it's like, man, after the wreck, I could barely move. And so like, there's some Patreon footage of me, like laid up in the bed with my fucking feet in the thing with all the straps and shit. And I'm like (laughs) holding the toy off to the side and trying to move my good arm. And, you know, I'm limited. I'm not supposed to pick up more than 10 pounds and he weighs 20 pounds. So I'm like, (laughs) like that at the time I wasn't sure. So they told me my recovery was going to be three months of basically bedridden three months of like immobilized leg, no weight on it whatsoever, no bending it, no moving it. And then after three months, I could start to move it 10, 15 degrees and begin to bear a little weight, but it was probably going to be a year before I was fully functional and mobile is what they were telling me. At that point, I was way more stressed and like, dude, what am I going to three months, man? Fuck. Like, how am I going to, I can't, play with this dog i can't bend down to pick the toy up to play fetch like i gotta get a chuck at handle if i'm gonna fucking play fetch because i can't bend over and this is months months that i'm gonna deal with this and it freaked me out in hindsight it's week eight and i'm cruising around on a cane i can get on the floor with them and wrestle it it didn't end up being as bad a hurdle to overcome as i thought it was gonna be but i was Mm -hmm. petrified at first because i was like what the fuck am i gonna do and everybody's answer is free shaping and shit like that. And I was just like, Oh man, I really thought I was going to get pushed out of my comfort zone. Fortunately, I didn't. (laughs) Fortunately, fortunately I healed fast enough that I could just do exactly what's comfortable for me. So (laughs) yeah. So now it's more back on, I think at this point, he's about eight months old. His lifestyle shit is very solid. His windows are very good. Yeah. He's social with dogs, social with people good in the house, like perfect lifestyle. We've started working. I mean, it's through play, but like his down is on a verbal at this point, he's responding to leash pressure to get into positions at this point. So it's like, you haven't on track. Else on a word. Yeah. Yeah. It wound up being a month or two behind probably what I would have been at, but nothing crazy in a year. You won't be able to tell that it happened as far as the, it won't be like, holy shit, like he's a year old, dude. Like, wow, he's further behind than expected. When did you get him? You know what I mean? It won't be like that. There's a trial think... in February. I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to. Get oh, cool. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, I think as dog I would... trainers, we put way too much work into puppies anyway. We can't help it. And even the people who like me, who tell people, don't do so much. You're doing too much. Slow down. Don't do too much. I do too much because you yeah. can't help it. You're, you're like, yeah. like, but I have this thing to play with. What the fuck else am I going to do? The yeah. only the only things uh, as far as work, like, so his, his windows are good. I can enough him off of play with another dog. I can enough him off of play with me. He's got outs that are clean. Like, you know, it's like his, yeah. his play-based stuff is very good. Work. Like his stay, that's usually the thing I go to first as far as work. Like you're doing this because I asked you to, there's no value in it for you. 
It's what it gets you to, or the fact that I said you have to do it, right? So stay is usually the first one. And so his stay is decent. It's not crazy. Like he's got a couple minutes that he'll stay somewhere. I could push it further than that, but I don't like to use a lot of pressure. So I like to go a little bit slower, use a little bit less pressure. So his stay is what he's working is stay and his collar target recall. Like I haven't done his front finish formal recall. I usually do a recall. That's like, I don't know if I've told you about it as a collar target. Have I told you mm-hmm. about that? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So instead of a they nose, run back to a collar grab. Yeah. They got to smash their collar into my hand and make me close my hand. And it's like, you teach it just like you teach a nose target. And most people don't have a hard time getting a nose to hand target. And they also don't have a hard time getting that to be, most people don't even pay for nose hand targets. Most people will do hand targets as a fun warm up to then do mm-hmm. obedience. So it's like, it's not one of those like, dude, you got to pay this. You got to have your food on you because if you make a game out of it, it's more like a nose target than a recall, but it mm-hmm. effectively works as a recall. So he's got a here, he's got his, his collar target is on a here and his stay is on a stay. So it's like, he has the stay there, come here, basic idea. And he's got like yeah, yeah. little windows. So I'm perfectly happy. After this, it's like, we got to start working. If we're going to do sports, we got more work to do. There's more shit yeah. we got to you know, yeah. but he's got to come and he's got to get over here and I stay right there. And like, he's usually in the mode I want him to be in. And if he's not, I can ask him, perfect. which is on track. for an eight month old. That's fucking great, dude. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 It's probably a good thing. I got hit. That was probably like, slow me down. <laughs> <laughs> she says he's your wife to fucking be convinced of that. <laughs> I don't know, dude. If you really want to get me off of the fucking truck, dude. <laughs> you might have that'll slow yeah. me down like six weeks worth. You're like, you got a month and a half. You better get it ready, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> hey man, so what's the road to recovery look like? All things going well. When are you back on the mats? When are you wrestling dogs? What so, what's that look like? So the last I had my six week checkup. At the six week checkup, my dog. <laughs> I don't, so what was supposed to happen was he was like, he scheduled me for my six week checkup. And he said at the six week checkup, if you're doing well, we'll switch you from this giant immobile, like a tube that goes from my fucking hip bone all the way to my foot, right? Like a, just a fucking fixed unit. We'll go to that, to a thing that allows it's like allows some movement. So you'll be able to move your leg. He goes, we'll probably start at like 10 or 15 degrees. And then at 12 weeks, we'll increase that. Hopefully by 12 weeks, we can get you to like 30 or 40 degrees bend. And then we'll allow you to start putting weight on it at 12. And I was like, okay. At now, six weeks, I'm on a spin bike. <laughs> well, so here's, here's the deal. Here's I saw the, the video of it. Yeah. I, my PT, my PT. So that, that's the surgeon, right? And surgeons put you back together, but PTs are the one that get you back to activity, right? Like surgeons yeah. aren't necessarily PT experts. And the PT that I have, like, was for the main medical center. He was the director of physical therapy for the longest time. He's the one that wrote the protocol that the guy handed to me. Right. right. So he, he wrote literally, he's the guy that wrote the protocol. So like the guy knows what he's fucking doing. And he knows me He's a jujitsu student of mine. He's a blue belt under me. Like he's been around for a long time. Like he knows me, he knows my activity. He knows the protocol. We're good. And so I go to him and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to work this way. We're not sure where we're going to end up. We're going to go faster than that, but we got to be careful and blah, 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 blah. So under direction, not on my own stubborn bullshit, not me and Dr. Google, like under direction of a professional, we move faster, but still inside the parameters. So at my six week checkup, I was already in 
the mobility brace and I was getting my leg to probably 95, hundred degree bend, still not doing any weight bearing, but like very different. And he looked at it and he was like, well, that's fucking crazy. And he's doing all the, he's like, can you like, you can move. And he's doing all the checkups. And he was like, wow. All right. So you're progressing. And so that guy told me at six weeks, he goes, okay, I'm going to let you start bearing weight now, which is like a hundred percent fat. It was like at six weeks, yeah. instead of weeks. he goes, I'm going to let you start bearing weight now. He's like, I'm guessing probably two weeks at like 50% of your body weight on that leg. And then another two weeks at like 75. And then maybe by the last couple of weeks, we'll get you to hundred percent body weight. He goes, I'm anticipating at week 12, you'll be no restrictions. So like no cane, like I'm not athletics. I'm not like doing athletic. Yeah. Like if I'm walking through the grocery store, nobody knows I'm fucked up. Right. And so I'm like, okay, you say six weeks. So I'm thinking probably, do you know what I mean? I, like, dude, look, all right, ready? So there's no cane. So I'm standing there. There's no cane. Yeah. If I walk around for a while, I'll start to have a little hitch in my walk. And so that's why I use my cane, but I've been on the cane for like a week. So I'm already at like hundred percent body weight. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be a couple of weeks. I mean, if the doc says six weeks until I'm unrestricted, I'm guessing three to four, maybe. Awesome. Uh, and I'll be unrestricted. Um, and at that point I can start doing athletics and I mean, I'm doing my little spin bike and I'm doing exercises and I'm lifting weights and shit. But like, when I say doing athletics, I mean, getting back to like, I'm going to yeah. build a fucking squat back up to 500 pounds, or I'm going to fucking build my deadlift back up, or I'm going to practice jujitsu again. And I'm teaching class. I'm very limited. I can still move my body and do some things, but there's a lot of things I got to get this other guy to demonstrate. Cause I can't do it with my leg yet. Yeah. Yeah. But week 12. I mean, between, so it's week eight right now. So I'm guessing another week to two weeks between two to four more weeks. And I should be able to start doing jujitsu again. Me and Mandy got to get back on the email to update this because she canceled based on what they said, we canceled everything until like June mm -hmm. because they were like, he's fucked. You know what I mean? And like, he's going to yeah, be yeah. in a bed and like, after that, it's going to be this really slow come back and like, I can't play tug with a dog. I'm not even, how am I going to get on a plane with this immobilizer on my leg? And so she just canceled all this upcoming shit. But the truth is my, the next seminar I was supposed to have was January 23rd. That's in another six weeks from now. Mm. Like there's no way. And I haven't made the announcement that I'm coming back to seminars at that point yet, because I don't want to say it and then disappoint people. Sure. Sure. I'm going to give it another couple of weeks. Like I want to be able, I want to be unrestricted before I make that statement. Cause I don't want to say it's two weeks from now. And then it turns out I have a backslide and it's a month, but I'm guessing in another couple of weeks, I'm going to announce that I'm back to, to doing seminars and stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Mm, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So that should be good. It'll be, I'm guessing a couple months before I could like put on a suit for a dog. That's a legitimate problem and like yeah. not have my leg fall apart underneath me when he bites me. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So I should be in the next month back to doing regular dog work and seminars. And I am guessing three or so months after that, I should be able to be fully good for dogs. It's going to probably be another, it's probably going to be six months total before I'm able to roll realistically, like actually fucking train, yeah. but dogs will probably be a couple, couple months before that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so awesome, I mean, man. That's really good to smash hear. Smash the timeline. It's great. It's hear. annoyingly slow, but it's, stupidly fast do you know mm -hmm. what i mean crazy yeah as long as it's smooth that's all you need right yeah
just can't just can't fuck it up. Just yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, listen, guys, I think we could talk forever, being the three of us, but I've got to shoot off. I've got to get back to work. Right yeah. on, man. Where people get you, what's going on, Jake? Plug everything. Tell oh, us God. what's what. Well, if I say email, you're gonna email and then we have to <laughs> so nldogs.com is the website. If you want to, uh, if people want to look at Patreon, there's next level dog talk on Patreon. There's less than daily updates, but I'm still doing updates with Sue. And when the next puppy shows up, we'll get back on a, a little nice. bit more of a timeline. The more I can move, the more content I'm making. Cause a lot of my time is spent literally chasing rehab shit and not mm-hmm. so much thinking about making content, but we're still doing updates with Sue probably every couple of days. Should be back to seminars soon. Mandy said, I'm going to start doing Zoom lessons this week again. So, Perfect. so it should be good. So email nextleveldogs at gmail.com or get on the website and check us out. And just don't bitch if I don't return the fucking email immediately. Because <laughs> like, nothing's changed. I didn't get hit by a car and suddenly go, I got to check email more often. Like, that's <laughs> you know, I'm not all of a sudden a dedicated businessman. I'm still the same. Shit. <laughs> Love it. Oh man, thanks for doing it. I appreciate you giving us the time. I appreciate you having that conversation with us. I know there's some shitty things to talk about, but I really appreciate you doing it. And I know that people listening, a lot of people around the world have been, you know, who don't necessarily have a close relationship with you that they could reach out and talk to you personally, but have been really fucking worried about you. And so Mm. this is a good way to get the whole story to everybody. And I really appreciate you doing it, man. The only bad part about the recovery going so well is it makes me feel like people are going to think I cried wolf about how bad it was in the beginning. (laughs) Trust me, nobody's fucking thinking that. It was way. legit. No, it was legit. Because now like that. somebody sees me and they're like, hey, what's up? And I got a little cane and I kind of have a limp. And they're like, what's going What happened to your leg? You twist your ankle? And I'm like, no, man. I got hit by a fucking truck, dude. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, that's a I bummer. circled the drain. Yeah. Dude, you're like, no, man, it was really bad. Dude, I had one guy. I had one person who was trying to be funny. But he didn't know it was going to send me into a tailspin emotionally. He wrote me and was like, hey, man, since you're doing so good, can I get a refund from the GoFundMe thing? (laughs) I was like, bro, please don't make that joke, dude. (laughs) Like, I know you're joking, but like, bro, come on now. Yeah, no, I I understand. Uh, But yeah, so hopefully people will realize it's a good recovery and not that it wasn't a big deal. It was legit bad. But it's going so well that I feel like people think I'm crying wolf about how bad it was. Don't worry about that for one second. Nobody thinks that. Everybody's just going, holy fuck, look at this tough that's, yep. that's what's that's, <laughs> that's what's happening. Yep. Legit. I'll tell you this. My kid was like, he literally, one of the first things he said to me when I woke up, because this is like, you never know what people are really like until you're in the shit with them. You know what I mean? You, yeah, you yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah. And I have this whole fix your face and fucking, you know what I mean? This whole persona about fucking be tough and stuff, you know, fix your face is one of the shirts at our gym. Well, woke up one of the first things he said to me, he was like, well, man, you'd be proud. And I was like, why? I don't remember any of this. And he goes in the ER, he's like, your leg was just a noodle. He's like, I saw your bone marrow. Like your bones were just fucking sticking out, you know? And he goes, we're going to set your leg. And you went, okay. And they go, it's going to fucking hurt. And you went, do it. And they did it. And he goes, you didn't make a fucking face. You (laughs) You looked at the ceiling and they did it. And you went, all right. And he was like, you'd have been, he was like, at, at the moment, he seen me go through some shit, but not that. He was like, in the moment, he was like, well, we're about to find out, dude. <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah. about to and then he goes, you just kept your shit together. I, he was like, nice. So yeah, made him proud. That's good. Nice. Glenn, anything to add? 
Nope. I think we've said it all. Just glad to have you back on the road to recovery, mate. And Thanks keep being you. Me. Keep being you. Yeah, no, you're welcome, mate. Right. I, like I, Couldn't I said. Couldn't do anything else if I tried, bro. Yep. <laughs> All right, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, jump in at Patreon. There's three bucks a month. I'm literally, as soon as we hang up this, I'm going to make a thumbnail for something and I'm putting it straight in there. Yeah, cool. It's on leashes. So that'll be in there today. Well, it'll be in there. You'll see it by the time this comes out. Three bucks a month gets you stuff and t- get in there get into jay's as well have a look at the what he's doing with the puppy you see that one grow up next one's coming in i think this is what's really important is like the sh- demonstrating the training as it goes down by people who who do it really well mm. there was a section on the that i did showing how i do the leash with him and i could not stop thinking about you telling me it's nipopo that's all I <laughs> every time i was making a video i was like this motherfucker is gonna say it's nipopo <laughs> All good training follows a simple principle. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can get a t-shirt. Get yeah. a t-shirt. Why not? Fucking do it. Look rad in it. Get that from spring. Or if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook discussion group. There's about 10,000 people in there all being kind to each other. No one's being a dick. So let's keep it that way. Absolutely. Uh, or if you want to shoot us an email, we are info at canonparadigm.com. Love you. Goodbye.